Welcome to Public Servants Announcements. Um, I'm not even going to give a long introduction this week because we have a guest, and there's not many guests that I hold in higher esteem than this person. Uh, we worked together years ago. Um, I'm sure there will be a time we'll work together again. But when I talk about this person to other people, I tend to find myself putting the word the before his name. And you know, if someone does that about you, that means you are a very special person. So I'd like to bring on to the show, the Prescott Mack. I appreciate it. I ain't, I ain't really had the D in front of it before, but I appreciate it. Good to see you, man. It's been a minute. It has. It has. So the first time I started, it wasn't even a podcast. It was like a pandemic shorts thing. It lasted during the pandemic. And then the world opened up. But you came on for that. And so I knew I wanted to have you on here, which would be more permanent because it's not just Instagram Live. But even more than that, you've done so many things since then. Like you were doing a lot then. Yeah. And it's like you've almost challenged yourself every day to like double down and do more the next day. Yeah. And I just think that's amazing. So I, I'm glad to get you on the podcast. But I want to start just for the people who don't know Prescott, Matt. Kind of where did your journey begin and what makes you a public servant? Um, my journey began in a small town called Greenville, Texas. Um, I'm born born and raised in Greenville, Texas. Grew up in Garland and graduated from McKinney. Um, so you can kind of see the progression of my life. And that's kind of been the story of my life. You, you know, grow up somewhere small, you go to a bigger city and then, you know, work your way into um, the suburbs or a seat at the table as you, as you will. Um, so my journey... I, I started at a young age, kind of knowing, lucky to know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so I, I remember my, my mom always tells a story. I was like a little, just a little boy. I don't, I may have been eight or 10 years old. And I just looked at her and told her, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. But uh, like, I don't know if I'm going to be a pro player or not. But I know that I'm going to be in the professional sports realm whatever that is. And, and I'm going to work in sports. Like I'm going to, I'm going to make my money with sports. And so that's kind of been my uh, focus and journey for um, as long as I can remember, like I've probably only had two real jobs, um, like corporate jobs and everything else has been, you know, scraping and clawing in the sports world. Um, so I have been, um, I tell kids all the time, like I've done everything that there is to do in the game of basketball, um, whether that be refereeing, marketing, photography, videography, broadcasting, coaching, playing, um, you know, on the, in the, in the front office and ownership. Um, I've done pretty much everything that I can think of besides be like maybe a social media influencer in the game of basketball. So, um, I like to call myself a sports professional. So I don't, I don't have like one title. I'm just a sports pro. And that is my life. Sports pro. That's a good title. Don't steal that guys. Most of y'all aren't <laughs> qualified for that level of uh, variety and generalness yet. Some of y'all still need specific titles like coach or parent. 
Um, so what, how did you get here? So I know, obviously you played, I mean, I know your history, so I know you played high school. Yeah. I know you went to college, but how do you get to, how do you even get into agency? I've heard the story before, which is why I want to want you to give it again. Cause I think it's yeah. an incredible story. Yeah. So, um, at 16, you know, I had like growing up, like I said, really early, I knew I was going to work in sports. So, um, you know, you grow up and you get other interests. So I was really interested in law um, as a kid and advertising. And so at 16, is I had a little cousin that was extremely good at basketball um, and he was growing and I was not growing. So we kind of figured, um, you know, he would be the he would be the star player. So, you know, I, I had to figure out how do you put advertising sports and law all together in in one job and um sports agent is you know is that right and so um at the time I was 16 my little cousin was 14 we made a plan that I would be his agent he would go off um you know play college basketball I would also pursue college basketball but I because I'm two years older um I'd be done two years before him and while he's uh, playing and, and I'm getting my feet wet, I'm going to, you know, intern and, and get my get my feet wet in the agency world. And by the time he graduates, I'll be ready to represent him. So we had that plan at 14 and 16, and we both pretty much followed that plan. It didn't go as planned, but it, it we both did what we set out to do. He be, he became a professional basketball player. Um, and I became a sports agent. And so um, we've been able to do business together in, in you know, a contract or two. But, uh, you know, we we both did what we set out to do. Yeah, that's great. Most people don't. A lot of us make plans at 16. Most of us don't follow through with them because what you want at 16 for a lot of people isn't motivated by the same things you're motivated by at so yeah. what motivated you at 16 to say, I want to work in the sports world. I want to be an agent. I want to do law, marketing, sports. What was your motivation behind that? Um, originally, it was it was TV, honestly. Like, you know, if you think about all the sitcoms we watched when we were kids, the businessman or the business person in any, like, storyline was in advertising, like Gina Gina from Martin was in advertising, right? Um, you know, I, my favorite sitcom is Seinfeld. So like every time, everything George wanted to do was like real estate or advertising exec or, you know, then he ended up with the Yankees. And it's just like every single time you saw, if you think about the movie, The Little Giants and um, when the, the kid whose dad was never around because he was a businessman, he was an advertising agent. So that like traveling and wearing a suit and with a briefcase was like really appealing to me at a young age. And it was always someone who was a lawyer or advertising agent, like if they were in corporate America. So that was like the, the initial motivation. But then once once I honed in on sports agency, it was really um, like gratifying to know that I'm responsible for someone's childhood dream. Like I can literally help 
someone's dream that they've maybe had since they were two years old come true, right? So if your dream was to be a professional uh, basketball player from, you know, the time you started playing and you started playing at four and then you get to me at 22 and I, I sign you and I represent you and then I'm the one that brokers your first professional contract and you get to sign on that dotted line, I've literally been a part of your childhood dream coming true. And so like that being my job is the most gratifying thing that mo that motivates me now is I, I'm responsible. I'm one of the things responsible for helping people's dreams come true. Incredible. And I like, I like how you aged yourself a little bit with some of those shows. <laughs> Cause notice he didn't give a single show or movie that came out after the year 2000. Um, but I think Seinfeld is very underrated in our community because I also think it is one of the best sitcoms to ever come on television. And I just watched it like three years ago when it went on Netflix and I've been watched it and was like, where has this show been? Why have I not seen it? Like I've heard of it, but nobody I knew watched Seinfeld. Mm -hmm. But I you given those examples, I never thought about how all of the people who were supposed to be like the money maker, mm -hmm. they, they were agents. That's what they did. Or they were in advertising mm -hmm. and they did get to travel and they did get to wear suits. So as an agent, how often are you wearing suits? Yeah, that part I don't I don't do. <laughs> I don't do anymore. Um, I will put on a, I will clean up. Uh, but it's it's like suit with some tennis shoes, like with J's on or um I never wear a tie and I hardly wear button down so either I have on a suit with a t-shirt under it or a turtleneck under it so but my daily attire is sweats in a t-shirt or shorts in a t-shirt so um I don't do the suit thing but I do get to travel and that that's that's I guess you got to give one take one yeah because I feel like traveling really can be the best part of any job. Yeah. Um, okay, so then you you became an agent, you started doing that, your feet were wet. What took you to the next level of your basketball? What was your next step in the basketball life? Yeah. Um, so agent didn't being an agent didn't jump off quickly. Um, you know, if anybody does, knows anything about the agent world, you you have to have two things. Um, you got to have a buyer and a seller and you got to have good, good things to sell and good things and good buyers to buy. Right. So in our, in our world, buyers are the teams and sellers are the players. So I have to be able to sell my player for lack of a better term um, to a team that, you know, to, to see for that team to see the value in that player's, basketball game right so um starting off you know the 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 products i'm selling you know it's hard for you to get the the biggest products to sell right the biggest the nba guys or even the guys that make six figures overseas it's hard to get them when you're when you're young um so starting off like as an agent i i needed something i need vision funding and vision funding came from coaching so I found a niche in like not always being the best basketball player. I was able to like study the game and learn how to teach the game really well from a developmental level. And 
um, got opportunities to to start off as just like a coach and then became the head coach and then became a director of a facility. And then that led to being a high school head coach and um, at a private school and then um, continue and then having like travel teams, select select travel teams. Uh, and so coaching became kind of my vision funding. And then it it, it actually became another part of the brand after a while um and it you know after it became more serious than just making a little bit of extra money to keep to stay afloat until i became a decent agent so um we started off with coaching i like i said i had several travel teams and uh program and ran some facilities and then um as an agent like as I got better as an agent, then I also needed more decision-making ability. I needed to, like being an agent, you're dependent on someone else's opinion, right? So if this GM in Romania doesn't, it has an opinion about your player and, and he doesn't necessarily, um, he or she doesn't necessarily like um, the player that I'm presenting to them, they can make that decision based off of their own opinion to not take my player, right? So I needed a little bit more decision-making ability. So I um, became an owner and I, I, you know, invested in purchasing a professional basketball team um, in a league called the TBL and still own that team to this day. Um, and now I'm working on my second team. And so um, that was kind of the, ne the next step in my journey was having a little bit more influence and and the best way that I can get that influence is buying my own team that's great so what what gave you the confidence to just say you know what I'm, I'm gonna start my own professional basketball team Oof. um I don't know uh, cockiness for one I shouldn't have had the confidence that I had um I think I had too much confidence because my first year was terrible um, I had no clue what I was doing. When you think about the percentage of people in the world that own a professional sports, anything, right? They, they're they the owner of a professional, any sport um, organization. There's not a lot of us. It's like, it's less than 1% of the population. So it's not like I had a ton of um, examples to, you know, learn from. So my first year, I had way too much confidence, way too much vision um to really do what I was was setting out to do I didn't understand what I was actually doing and then it took it took the pandemic to like sit me down and really educate myself on you know what it takes to to own a professional basketball team so um I started off in this a little too confident um and uh ended up you know taking my licks and and failing basically failing forward um but the pandemic was definitely a blessing for me because it kept my business afloat because if we would have you know if, if the pandemic didn't shut us down then I wouldn't have had the opportunity to learn from the mistakes I made and I would have continued to make mistakes that I couldn't necessarily come back from see I think that's a great way to look at it because the pandemic set everybody down but everybody didn't have the foresight to get educated, not necessarily in something new, but just educated in what they're actually already doing. So yeah. teachers studying teaching and reading books about teaching 
police officers reading books about actual peacekeeping and being a peace officer and what that means and you know learning from others and using those zoom meetings to reach out and hear from other people but you you decided to take that time and really educate yourself so what were you doing were you reading were you doing trainings were you in seminars yeah one thing i did was i got sales trained um so i learned how to sell and you know, coming from like you would think that like, hey, you you wanted to be an advertising agent. Well, I didn't put like marketing and advertising and sales in the same bucket. Um, so I I knew how to like did like market. I could create taglines. I can write content. I can do all of that stuff. I can create graphics. Um, like I run the social media for all of my organizations. Um, but I didn't know how to actually go out and sell. And what I learned in that process is that I don't own a professional basketball team. So I, you know, in our league, we play three months, um, four months if you're if you're good, um, out of the year. And so for the other eight months, you're trying to find money to pay for these three months, right? So I had to learn that if I'm if I'm spending three quarters of the year selling or looking for money um, and a one quarter of the year actually just playing, then I don't own a basketball team. I own a sales organization. And so I learned how to basically put together a sales organization where my day should consist of making cold calls. And, you know, if I get a hundred cold calls a, a, a week, and then I get to I get 10 meetings scheduled. And then out of those 10 meetings, I should close on three and a half of those meetings. And if my average, um, if my average closing is like two thousand, a two thousand dollar sponsorship, then, you know, every month I should be looking at six thousand dollars, you know, six, six thousand dollars or give or take in sponsorship money. Right. And so you do that for eight months and you got you have a pretty good penny before you start the season. And that's if you're staying consistent. So I had to learn that. Like I had to kind of shift my focus, whereas I was focusing more on having the best players and, um, you know, things that really don't help you stay afloat. Like I'm actually doing the players a disservice if I don't focus on sales because then they don't have an organization to even play for. So that was the biggest lesson and the biggest thing that I had to get education on was how to become a good salesman. Okay, that I think that that phrasing. So like I had to actually figure out what I was spending my time on because a lot of people say, me included, say that we're doing one thing, like mm -hmm. claim that we are one position. So for a long time, I said, I'm a teacher. Mm -hmm. Great. But I actually only teach my English content or when I was teaching, I only taught my English content for three hours a day, maybe four hours a day on a really good day where I really get to teach hard every class. Yeah. And then I spend the other half of the time that I'm scheduled to be at work, sorting papers, building relationships, calling parents, talking to people. So, so I'm really not teaching English for yeah. even the majority of the day that I'm assigned to work. And that changed how I did my job, but even more than that changed how I prepared for my job. So mm -hmm. how do you... Or actually, do you work with other people? Have you started to mentor and train 
other people who are trying to be become the next sports pro. Yeah, that's the that's what. Um, so I have my own. We just opened up our own gym here in Georgia. Um, we call it Mac Academy, and for Mac Academy, we we are five, we're a nonprofit five hundred one c three, and we um, the goal is to mentor future sports professionals. So, um, and not just sports professionals, but the the focus is definitely sports. So we use the game of basketball. We have eleven classrooms and one gym. Um, we use the game of basketball to lure you in and then from there we kind of teach you like um you know you can do more with this ball than just dribble it right like and my my favorite line is like this ball is taking me all around the world and I don't dribble it I don't dribble or shoot it but it this ball is literally my life um and so I think that was you know when I came to speak to your your students I think that was my point is like hey I yeah, it's cool to be, you know, the the player is cool to be on the court and getting the spotlight. But like, you know, sometimes God will look at you and, and look at your dream and be like, hey, I know your dream is to be a player and to make a team. But, um, you know, my vision is bigger for you. And why would I want you to be a player when you could be the owner? And so I think that was that's my story is, you know, God looked at me and was like, why would I want you to play when you can own? Um, and you can touch a lot. You can touch a lot more people doing this um, than than that. So um, that is that is definitely in the plans for us. Like, dude, that's that's our that's our goal right now is to get Mac Academy to the point where we have uh, fifty to one hundred kids enrolled, and not necessarily as a school, but just as um, you know, try, we'll, we'll do travel teams, we'll do um, free camps and clinics and things like that. But we want to be able to kind of create a funnel between um, elementary school to middle school to high school to pros. And so, like, you know, the pros will mentor the high schoolers, the high schoolers will mentor middle schoolers, middle schoolers mentor elementary schoolers to, you know, kind of create the funnel of hey whatever you plan to do in this game like yeah you play right now but also for the pro team I need you to grab this camera and you can you're, you're gonna take shots um you know get content for for the games or yeah you you play on the the travel team the AAU team but you know during the pro games you're gonna be doing this you're gonna be doing statistician work and so I need you to not only are you taking the stats, but then I need you to analyze the stats so that you, you know, learn your, learn the analytical side of basketball. And that may lead to, a you know, a job in in someone's front office that can also lead like the Eric Spolstra job, like the, you know, you're the video coordinator turn, turn head coach, right? So that's kind of our vision. Um, it's kind of, we've learned that the game of basketball in a professional team touches literally every industry so I may have a professional basketball team but I also need sports doctors I also need sports lawyers I also need sports photographers I also need um, cheerleaders and dancers and like so every single industry my my organization can literally touch and so um, that's what we've learned and that's what we're going to try to use Mac Academy to um, to kind of close that gap that's incredible. That I mean, that is something that 
a lot of people don't see themselves doing something like that because the vision is just big. It's, it's realistically, it's just a really large scale thing to do. Yeah. And a lot of people, especially young people of color, and although he has a lot of accomplishments, he is still a young, a young man of color. There is a lot of, a lot of life left. And so that just having that vision and that foresight, where does that come from? Besides you all, you said earlier, it came from just maybe being overconfident and a little cocky, but where did, cause to keep coming with the next biggest dream, where does that come from? Um, I think it's just crazy faith. It just, it, there's, there's literally nothing I've ever seen myself not being able to do. Um, and that it could be it could be confidence in the um in the prayers I'm still cashing in. Like, you know, I got I got a praying family. So there's I can't I can't live long enough to cash in every single prayer that's been prayed for me. So, you know, having that confidence of like there's I'm covered and I don't have a fear of failure. I don't I don't have a fear of messing up or putting myself out there. You know, my wife tells me all the time, like you like I would she tells me that she wishes like she had the ability to say like we could be riding in the car. And I say, you know what? I need to go do this, this, this and this. And then like by the time we get home, something's posted on social media. I've already made a flyer for it. Nothing is nothing is set up. Nothing is done. But I'm going I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. Then it forces me to have to execute because either I can make people think like, oh, he always he always saying he about to do something, but he don't never really actually do it. Either I can have that over my head or I can put it out there. And now the now there's a timeline now, like I've already put the date. I've already put a time. I've already put a location. So now I got to actually go get that location, secure that date and execute whatever this is and whatever it is that I that I posted so there's just never a fear of mine to um fail um because I fail so much I'm kind of used to it so there's never like if I if I have a thought and an idea I'm gonna try it um I'm gonna try it and it that, I mean I guess I could take that to the basketball court too if I had a move in my head I'm gonna try it at least in practice and then if it don't work, it don't work, or I'm gonna keep trying it until it does work. So um that's just kind of my mentality, kind of how I've grown up is I've been raised to have crazy faith. And then, you know, faith without work is dead. So I can't have I can't claim to have crazy faith and then never put any action behind it. That's great. And then you said so a line that stuck out to me, because I mean, obviously that. All of that is amazing. Do you listen to Pastor Michael Todd? Any? Uh, yeah, on TikTok. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's. I didn't even realize he was on TikTok. I really need to expand my TikTok variety yeah. because it'd be. I don't even know if it's like him, but it'd be people like sharing his sermons. Um. And like his illustrations, like he has crazy illustrations. So um, they share it. They, I, I see it a lot on my timeline. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to. Someone told me I have to adjust what I'm liking and looking at to yeah, adjust my TikTok algorithm. algorithm. 
And uh, okay, because I don't ever see, I see other pastors, I don't ever see Pastor Michael Todd. Um, but that's my home church. So, like, that's, I mean, obviously, I don't live in Oklahoma, so I don't yeah. go as often. I've been twice, but right. faithfully, I watch on yeah. YouTube and have not missed a sermon in probably five years now, maybe six years. Um, but I heard you say, I felt so much that I've just gotten used to. Would you say that's a positive thing or a negative thing? Um, it depends on how you how you take failure. Um, if you're gonna take every loss as a lesson, then failing is great because that's the that's more lessons you're gonna get. But if failure is detriment to your mental, then um, then it's probably not it's probably not the greatest thing to just fail as often as I do. Um, but it doesn't like, you know, it, it hurts sometimes. Like it, it, it's tough on my mental health at times. Like 2020 was very, that first year because I thought that I was starting something so big and so great, um, for it to just be the opposite. Um, I did go through like a level of depression, but, um, but once I got out of it, once I, you know, picked myself back up and really found the lesson in that failure which was the the lesson of like I don't own a basketball team I own a sales organization it it completely changed how I attacked this particular um uh endeavor so that other failures aren't as big you know even within this same um realm of organization like any like I have failures right now with my new team in Georgia but I, because of the things that I dealt with in Dallas, some of the stuff that happens here is like, oh, okay, you know, we're good. We'll we'll get over that, or this is how we'll fix that. And it doesn't, you know, it may it may be a failure internally, but nobody ever will know. Um, so I guess to answer the question, it just it, yes, it is for me to fail often, fail fail, you know, frequent and fail. Um, there, there's a way to fail like you don't just want to like completely fall off the face of the earth but fail frequent the the frequency in which i fail is a good thing for me um for everybody else i don't you know it just depends on who it is and how they see their failure okay so with you doing all of these other things and the so owning the teams and the sales organization and moving how how important has it been for you to stay hmm, how do I phrase this how important has it been for you to stay connected to like a small group or like a group of people that remember where you came from whether that be family or friends or just like a small group of contemporaries um I'm bad about that. One, I'm an only child. <laughs> so there's there's not that other than the people that live with me, there's not a lot of people I just stay connected to. Or um like everybody, everybody can connect to me. I'm always accessible. I'm very accessible, you know, um, sometimes too accessible, but I don't necessarily 
try to stay connected and that's a flaw of mine because that's that's something that's actually like my new year's resolution is to try to be better um with like friendship with with connectivity with small groups um but i'm i'm a i am a lone wolf like i will go attack any and everything by myself be a one-man band and i won't if you don't offer help i won't ask for help and I just keep it moving um, by myself, and I'm I'm very okay with that. Um, so I'm I I'm very it's been it's been very difficult for me to like sustain. Um, like the only person in my life that I talk to every single day is my wife. There's not another person that I talk to every day or even every week. Um, like my mom calls because she's, but she's talking to her grandchild. She's not talking to me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's just, I'm, that's just a, that's a flaw of mine that is, is very difficult, but I have, you know, I have people that I have so much love for. Um, I try to stay connected to Dallas as much as possible. Like, even though I've moved out of Dallas, um, I'm back and forth often. And, but even when I'm back and forth, I, I don't like announce that I'm coming. <laughs> so I don't I don't go see anybody. I go to work and then I I get back on the plane and head back home. So um, that's been difficult for me, though. OK, because a lot of just in talking to the podcast, a lot of the people I've talked to talk about the importance of having a group and being connected. Yeah. But when I go when I've talked to people who are more in leadership, whether that be principals when it comes to education mm -hmm. or um, just in, I was just in a group the other day in a, it was an in-person meeting, but we were in a group and it was a bunch of different leaders in different industries. And they all kind of said pretty much the same thing. You know, I've done most of my life alone. I, most of them weren't only childs, but there were quite a few who were. And they were just like, no, I, if you don't ask for help, I'm not, if you don't offer help, I'm not going to ask for it. I heard that at least twice. And then you said it. Um, and I don't talk to anybody on a daily or weekly basis. I talk to people when it's important. Like I tell people happy birthday. I tell people Merry Christmas. When we have family events, I show up. But as far as just reaching out to see how somebody's doing, no, I don't do that. It, I should, but I don't. I don't have time for this. The conclusion we kind of came to do you think that is something that i don't want to say makes you a leader but do you think that's a personality trait that makes it easier to become a leader because it does the, the amount of time that it takes to be yeah it i mean when you've been especially like business owners and like ceos presidents when you, principals when you have to um, be in a position where you have like employees or people under you. Um, it's it's really hard to like you learn your lesson from getting too close to people because you get it's really easy to get hurt. And so when you're in leadership positions, like you got to be able to separate like friendship and um, friendship and business. And a lot of times, like when you let two people, when you let people get too close to you or too comfortable, it's hard for them to see you 
in your leadership role. I mean, that, like it's it's biblical too. Like a prophet is a prophet is a prophet except in his hometown. And the re reason why that is is because when you're in your hometown or when you've grown up with a group of people or you're familiar with a group of people, they only see you as what they're familiar with. So if I, like my uncles call me Scotty, I'm going to always be Scotty to them. Like they will never see me as if if I'm if I get put in Forbes today, if I get put in GQ today, like they're gonna be proud of me, but they're gonna be like, "Well, I'm proud of you, Scotty." <laughs> so yeah. I'm never gonna not be their little nephew that that I grew like that that I grew up as, right? I'm never gonna. They're never gonna see me as a mogul. If I ever become a mogul, they're never gonna see me as the business owner. They're never gonna see me as that, right? So, um, it's when you get to these leadership positions, you kind of have to disconnect because you need to be seen as what you are. And if you, if you're not, if you are really, let's say you're, you're a principal and your assistant principal is your best friend since high school. And is your assistant principal really going to see you as the principal or as the boss, or is she going to see you as the one that y'all used to like run havoc through garland texas with like y'all she know things about you that people not supposed to know right so or he he or she so um that's that's kind of i think that's that's one of the underlying reasons why most leaders have to have that disconnection is because you know we got to still be like it's difficult remember my wife's office is next to mine and i love work getting up every day working with her but there's times where she has to stay home and I got to come to the office so we can split. And then there's times where um, like we can go a week straight and we can work side by side, but she's not going to ever see me as her boss. <laughs> so it, it just is what it is. So. Yeah, I, I like that perspective because we didn't get to get deep. We had one hour and it was 20 of us. So we didn't get to get that deep into it, but I like that perspective just we have to make sure that when we're in our role, you respect our role, which means sometimes you can't see us out of our role or you'll get to, it's not an us yeah. issue, it's a y'all issue. It's a y'all issue, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I, com I completely get that. Okay, so I follow you on social media, so I know your social media presence, and I've also recognized that there are two versions of you. We have Prescott <laughs> Mac, and then we have Good Pass P. Oh, yeah. Explain the difference between those two people. Uh, so Good Pass P is self-proclaimed. Um, and that came from like when I was playing every single time I was on the court, at least one time you're going to hear Good Pass P. And so I was like, you know what? I should call myself Good Pass P. But Good Pass P is just someone that is insightful, that can that will will say whatever is on his mind and kind of like, have some profound message behind it and kind of can take everyday things that happen and make it uh, a mini sermon, a, a memo, a dissertation, whatever, whatever it is you want to call it. And then, you know, sign off good past Pete. Whereas Prescott Mac is literally just um, uh, sensitive, um like love like very you know uh, i don't even know how to put it 
sensitive, vulnerable, like loves his kids, loves his wife, um, were, you know, ha was a work in progress and really maturing now. Um, whereas Good Pass P still ain't matured. <laughs> he, still, <laughs> he hasn't quite got there yet. He's still, you know, overly confident. It's like the Sasha Fierce, Beyonce type attitude. Like it's Good Pass P is, is you know, I can go do this and nobody can stop me. Whereas Prescott is a little bit more calculated where it's like, oof, you know, what are they going to think about this? What are they going to think about that? Um, let me just go. Let me just go home. I'm just going home. Let me go home. I'm, I'm not doing nothing. <laughs> so which one is starting the businesses? Um, Good Pass P starts them. Prescott has to run them. It's <laughs> exactly so, what I was thinking in my head. Yeah, Prescott has to run them. So Prescott's organized and, and has spreadsheets and Good Pass P uh, gets on social media to talk about it. And that's the perfect balance, which is why you don't need other people. You have the two <laughs> people, you have both sides, you figure it out. So when you're, when you're doing all this, have you ever sat back and been like, I really have accomplished all of this? Like, I didn't think I'd be here 10 years ago and this is where I am. And this is now I like I've been so focused on looking forward. I haven't been able to like sit and recognize just how far I've gotten. The only time I mean, it's it has happened um, once where I had the epiphany like, man, you like actually did. You actually did this. And it was after my 2021 season. Mind you, I've. I've mentioned the 2020 season and how horrible it was and but 2020 got cut short so I never I didn't finish a season and so it's probably the only thing that I've started like Dallas Skyline was probably the only thing that I started where in 2020 I hadn't finished it like I haven't I haven't completed anything I haven't shown that I could actually do it so um when I finished the season in 2021 um and we like got through the last game in 2021. We didn't even make playoffs, but I was like happy because I was like, man, I actually, I actually did it. I own a professional basketball team and I actually finished the season. I actually gotten from start to finish, um, paid for it all, like got it all done. Like I've actually done it. And that was like when a rush of everything that I've done kind of hit me like, man, I've like actually done a lot of stuff. Um, but then that was short lived because now like the a real visionary, like their dream just gets bigger. It's like it's like Kobe, like the job's not done yet. So I have so much um, to do. Well, I take that back. It, it happened again when we got this building because um, my retirement plan was to have a gym like my own gym. And like I, I always said, I get to like 60, 65. I'm going to get a gym. I'm going to open it up for kids. It's going to be nonprofit. It's going to be like a rec center. Like kids can come shoot, uh, play, play in tournaments. And I just, I'm going to sit in my old man chair, kick my feet up and watch kids play. Um, watch coaches, watch young coaches coach, watch kids play, watch, you know, just watch the action and just enjoy it and be Mr. Mr. Mac or pop, uh, cool pop. That was going to be my old, my old person. <laughs> He has already picked out his old person name, guys. You what? That's how far behind y'all. You don't know what you're gonna be called at sixty. Figure it out. So, so, so me, um, 
me getting like this gym basically 30 years earlier um was like wow like like things are speeding up so but then that was again short-lived because now it's like okay what can we do with this like we i can do so much bigger i have five acres in front 10 acres in back what can i do with this what can i create what opportunities can i create with this thing um and so that it, I've never been able to sit still long enough to like look at accomplishments because really I don't feel like I've accomplished anything. Like I've I've done some stuff, but like what has I what have I really it's still like a very fraction of like what other people have done. Like and that I'm not to compare myself to other people, but like it's still not, it's still so small. Like I've done all these big things on such a small scale, and. I still see myself as being able to do it on a bigger scale. Um, and so that's, I haven't, I haven't arrived yet. So I guess that's what's causing me to not really have that epiphany, you know, that, that I may, I might deserve, um, but I haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. And I don't, realistically, you probably won't get there just knowing your mindset and I mean, that mindset is what makes millionaires billionaires and billionaires continue to make people. Like, that's how you go from having six billion to 196 billion. Like, I remember growing up, the richest man in the world had $6.4 billion. Like, I remember that being a fact when I was in fifth grade. And then a few years ago, I was talking to somebody and I was like, I wonder who the richest man in the world is now. Mm-hmm. And even in America, Jeff Bezos was $196 billion. But what made him want to go for $196 billion? Like, what can you buy with $196 billion that you couldn't buy with $6 billion? Like, there's very few things that you can buy with six that you couldn't buy before. So that mindset of always, like you said, a real visionary, always dreams bigger. Like I accomplished this goal. Okay, how can I expand it? How can I improve on it? How can I do the next big thing? And I, so you never do get the chance, but there are other people give you that, I'm sure, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. what is what has been the most proud moment that someone else has shared with you? Hmm, that's a good question. Most proud moment someone has shared with me. You've already said you have kids. You've already said you, you're married. So not those. Those are the obvious answers. Yeah. Proud moment people have shared with me. Um. Wow. Um. I don't know. I I think you know I had a group of of little girls that I coached in in Dallas that you know a few of them got to go to college and play basketball. Some of them are still playing. Those are proud moments, but um, like proud moment, you mean proud moment, like somebody saying they're proud of me and something I've done? Yes. Um, I would have to say my the owner of, uh, or the president of the TBL, which is the league my pro team is in, um, the basketball league, David Magley, um, you know, he, he actually just looked at me like two weeks ago in, in the, at the ownership meeting and just looked at me and it's like, man, yeah, I was sitting down, he was standing up, he was like, get up. And then he just like hugged me and told me he was he was proud of me. And 
I knew exactly what that meant um, because he's literally watched me from from just a, a up and coming agent. Like we met in maybe 2014, 2015 before he had a thought of this league. And he watched me as an up and coming agent running tours and camp exposure camps and stuff like that. And to grow into like the family man that really owns legit businesses like everything that i've done hasn't always been like it ain't ever been scams but it hasn't always like been registered with the state or been able to like you know i i i legit own businesses now structured registered in the state of georgia or texas or new mexico like it, it's just it's there's a progression and maturity as a businessman that that i i um assume is what he was so proud of just looking at me because you know we you know i've i've come a long way from being the young kid that was in my first ownership meeting as the owner of the dallas skyline um and now walking into that four four or five years later um the person i am today you know he was he's proud and so that that was probably the most um genuine and um, fulfilling, uh, proud moment that I have um, been able to experience. That's great. That's I could only imagine, especially since y'all known each other, you know, almost a decade. So he's really watched you grow, watched yeah. you become this version of who you are. That's that's incredible. So what's next for Pes Prescott Mackin? and all of the endeavors? Um, so I've been, I've spent eight months building a life here in Georgia, um, basically trying to leave my stamp in this small area of Georgia. But um, what's next is transitioning back to Dallas, not, not necessarily to live, but um, there's a new gym um, being built as we speak that I'm the basketball director of. And it's kind of going back to some roots, um, you know, of, of how I started my career. I was a director there, 23 years old in the same city. Um, and now seeing um, this this building pop up that I've been working on since seven years now. I was like I was one of the first people the owner the owners called with the idea. I designed the court structure and everything. So which we should probably get patent. Um, but the um, what's next is transitioning back to youth basketball, um, getting back fully into youth basketball, fully into coaching while still running pro stuff, still being an agent, still, you know, owning my teams, but really kind of bringing it back full circle and, and getting back to coaching, getting back to touching kids' lives and starting with the next generation. Um, because I have, like I said, I have kids. I have three boys that all of a sudden, all of them play basketball. When we were, when we lived in Dallas, they they only wanted to play games, so like video games. So I actually was uh, learning how to represent like gamers when we were in Dallas, so that I can, you know, support my boys. I have a ten year old and a fifteen year old, um, and then I had a one year old, and all of a sudden the other two decided they wanted to play basketball. So um, I have three boys that are constantly on the court 
and my one-year-old being probably the best one out of all of them because he's got it <laughs> he got it um and um so now it's 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 me kind of transitioning into that for my boys um getting back into travel teams and training and, and skills and um camps and stuff like that so that um you know, my sons see me as the coach and not just um, not just somebody that sits on the sideline, you know, yelling at referees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the fun part, though, especially when you've been a ref. Yeah, 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 for sure. Because then I get to talk their language, then they get sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So before we leave, I always ask my guests to give us one piece of advice or one public service announcement. Uh piece of advice piece of advice um my best piece of advice i can give is the worst thing you can do for a poor person the worst thing that you can do for a broken person the worst thing that you can do for anyone um that is less fortunate in any realm is be one of them so the best way to help is to not be one, not be like, don't be afraid to leave whatever situation you're in and elevate yourself because you can't help them until you elevate. Yep, that, that's it. That's the end of the show. That's the perfect piece of advice and I have nothing to add to it. Uh, <laughs> you can't, <laughs> that was important. I needed that repeat that one more time just for the people who missed it the first time because their antenna (laughs) dropped or something i don't know (laughs) the worst thing you can do for a poor person the worst thing you can do for a broken person the worst thing you can do for anyone in need or less fortunate um in any capacity is be one of them because you can't help them until you elevate so don't be afraid of leaving um leaving some people behind because you can't help them staying where they are. Period. This has been another incredible episode of Public Servants Announcements. I'd like to thank Prescott again for coming on and just being a part of the show, sharing your wisdom, giving us just time first, but also just the the energy and the space and the story behind what got you to where you are and what's gonna get you to where you're going to be because it is truly going to be a sight to see. And I, I know that because I, I've watched as you've gotten here and every time I see a post, I'm like, yeah, that's that's the next level. That is, that's what's next. That makes sense. <laughs> it's, it's elevation. That's, that's what forward movement looks like. And so it's just, I mean, it's great to see from, from my end and it's great for you to be able to come on and and share it with other people. So I really appreciate it. No problem. Anytime, anytime. Yes, sir. And that's been another episode of a public servant's announcement. And I will spend time with y'all again next week.